Well, good morning. It's my pleasure to welcome you here to Central today where we seek transformation of our lives and our communities and the whole world through the renewing work of the Lord Jesus. This winter and spring, we are studying a life by design, asking how God's Ten Commandments help us grow as disciples and help us grow in community with one another as we share life together as God's family. And this week, we come to the sixth commandment, which is, you shall not murder. Now, maybe everybody just took a collective sigh and thought, well, at least I'm not a murderer, so I'm safe. Well, let's not jump to such defense so quickly. Pope John Paul II famously described the culture in which we live as a culture of death. I think that's a pretty apt description of where we are that seems only to have deepened since John Paul's death. Simply think about the incidents of all the school shootings in our culture, or shootings in churches, shootings at Super Bowl parades like this last week. All the incidents of road rage that end up in in violence. There's violence in our cities, violence all around us, domestic violence even in the church is at an epidemic level. Live in a culture of death, it seems. The American Psychological Association estimates that by the time a child finishes sixth grade, she will have witnessed 8,000 murders and 100,000 acts of violence on the screen. We're normalizing this culture of death. How do we get there? The fact of the matter is that murder is not all that far off from any of us at every moment of the day. Because as our text lays out to us, and Jesus' commentary on this text especially, he teaches us that the act of murder on the outside is just the tip of the iceberg. Because underneath all those actions are murderous attitudes and contempt for other people that lurk within all of our hearts. We're all part of a culture of death. Let's turn our hearts and our minds to Exodus 20 and Matthew chapter 5. I want to encourage you to open your Bibles in front of you this morning or use the few Bibles in front of you as we ask God to help us become a people of life rather than death. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would send your spirit and open our eyes that we might behold Jesus and be formed to be like Jesus as his people, to be his own body here. Lord, Open our ears that we can hear and renew our wills that we want to follow after you as disciples. And so, Lord, we ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Sixth commandment, Exodus 20, verse 13. You shall not murder. And now down to Matthew 5, verses 21 to 26, where Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount was teaching about what this commandment means. He said, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother 
and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. Our Linton response to God's word, the Lord teaches the humble his way. My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. What this command and teaching of Jesus lays in front of us is that God calls us to be life givers in a culture of life takers. What kind of person do you want to be? A life giver or a life taker? This is the way that the Ten Commandments works, and we see it as Jesus expands on them in the Sermon on the Mount, that whenever something is forbidden by one of the commands, its opposite is commanded. One thing is forbidden, and the opposite of that thing is what Jesus teaches us to do. For example, when the commands forbid having no other gods before me, it's not simply about forbidding idolatry. But instead, the command demands that we seek and serve the only true and living God. You see, it forbids and commands its opposite. So also here with this command, you shall not murder. The Lord calls us, instead of being life takers, to be people who give life in the culture all around us. How do we do that? How do we do that with our hands and with our hearts and with our lips? As we study this command. First, the Lord calls us to be Lord gi- life givers with our hands. This commandment in Hebrew in the original in Exodus is simple. It's only two words, no murder. It's pretty simple, but it's a little more complicated than that. In Hebrew, there are eight different words for killing, and the one chosen here was chosen very carefully There are other words that are used to describe capital punishment, for example. There are still other words that are used to describe what soldiers do in combat. This word here in the sixth commandment is different. This word doesn't, is not ever used to describe the killing of other animals. This command doesn't forbid self-defense. It doesn't forbid us serving your nation in a time of war. What this command forbids is the unlawful killing of a human being. Why? What's the foundational reason why we're not allowed to kill human beings? The reason is the living, uh, the giving and taking of a life made in God's image is God's prerogative. It's he who made us. We are his. We belong to God, as Genesis 9 tells us. And our duty to protect the life of our neighbor is firmly rooted in, in whose image our neighbor has been made been made by God to be like God. And because every human being is sacred, made in the image of God, every human being deserves to have their life protected. Every life, from the cradle to the grave, rich and poor, sick and well, of every nation on the earth, all made in God's image, all sacred, all deserving of protection. That challenges us. Sometimes we see this life of this culture of death all around us and we're challenged to have a desire to protect all life. Think about how easily in our culture the life of sacred image bearers in the womb are discarded. Now, I know talking about abortion is 
emotional and it's a difficult topic to speak about. But friends, according to the scriptures, abortion is not a side issue. Murder of unborn babies has become part of a culture of death in our society. And as people made in God's image, we stand against the destruction of life made in God's image. Because unborn babies in the womb are in the image of God. Every single one of them deserve to be protected. But keep going on the other side. What's, what's the positive of that command? How can we be a church of life givers instead of life takers? I, I think it challenges us to create a culture of support for mothers who are in distress, families in crisis in one form or another. It calls us to be a church that's willing to be inconvenienced to support people who are going through family crisis. Calls us to be a culture and a church of grace and forgiveness and tenderness and kindness toward women who have chosen abortion. We that kind of place, if that describes you here this morning, I want you to know Jesus welcomes you here, and so do we. Thrilled that you were here. We want to be a place of life for all of us. It challenges us to develop and grow a culture of caring for these children when they are brought to term embracing and finding ways to support a mother, embracing a culture of adoption, being willing to provide a a, a solid family in which these children can thrive. It's so easy for us to say no to abortion. And yet creating a culture of life demands that we build a community of a new normal. And that new normal is we are willing to sacrifice to provide for the lives of these smallest, most vulnerable image bearers of God? Are we willing to be inconvenienced? Are we willing to put ourselves out there and care for these children? Not just there, but the helpless, the elderly, the infirm, the diseased, the disabled, as Mike was talking about, our access ministry to disabled adults, all made in the image of God, all beautiful, all of their lives sacred. Are we willing to make room in our lives that all of these image bearers are cared for and embraced and provided for. Let's seek to be a community of life givers with our hands. But Jesus takes it a step further. He calls us to be life givers with our hearts. Look at Matthew 5, verse 21. Jesus begins with, you have heard that it was said to those of old. And so Jesus isn't talking about the Old Testament scriptures there. If he was talking about the scripture, he would, as he did so often, he would have said, it is written. But instead, what Jesus is talking about is what teachers of the law have taught. And Jesus is saying what they taught about that command isn't sufficient. The teachers said, whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But Jesus says, I say to everyone who is angry with their brother will be liable to judgment. See, the the problem is not just the tip of the iceberg that we can see, that external act of murder, but the problem is it goes deeper. We have homicidal hearts, and it comes out as anger toward one another, and Jesus calls it murder. Heidelberg Catechism 106 says this, by forbidding murder, God teaches us that he hates the root of murder, such as envy, hatred, anger, a desire for revenge, and he regards all these as murder. Jesus makes a point that 
that comes to where all of us live, a space where all of us, the neighborhood all of us live in, and it's anyone who's angry with his brother is guilty of murder. And if Jesus is right there, then I'm guilty of thousands of murders in my life. And so are you. He tears the cover off of our respectability, off of our own sense of righteousness that at least I've never killed anybody. And Jesus wants us to say, take another long look inside your heart. Yes, you have. And you need mercy. I need mercy because we've all broken that commandment. To continue with that example from a moment ago, abortion is murder, and so is rage at abortion providers. That's murder as well. So is anger at women who have experienced abortions. Jesus calls that murder as well. Of course, there's a category for righteous anger in the Bible, and yet that tiny sliver of a space is usually not where our heart sits and remains. What might begin as righteous anger so easily bubbles up to sinful anger, so easily bubbles into vengeance and becomes a self-righteous rage that forgets we are guilty of the exa- breaking the exact same command that we're talking about with these people. That's how anger works, isn't it? Sometimes it simmers in our hearts. There's contempt in our souls. There's judgments and attitudes toward other people. And we try to just paper over it so nobody sees it. And yet sometimes we get pricked or we're disappointed in someone and out gushes a a torrent of rage and insults and accusations. Anger in that way, it's a little bit like a dandelion seed. You know what dandelions are? Those little weeds that grow in your yard in the summertime that it pops up it has this little white puff ball on the top and the wind comes and blows those seeds and sends them everywhere now if you've had one of them in your yard you will know that you will soon have lots of them in your yard because dandelion seeds can grow and uh, sprout into dandelions anywhere whether they fall on the dirt or fall in a, a crack in the concrete if they just wait on just the right conditions A little bit of rain, a little bit of sunshine, and out pops a dandelion from everywhere. Our anger is like that. There's some contempt we have for someone or some group of people in our hearts, some judgment we have about them, some anger that is in there, and it's barely controlled, but when something happens, just the right conditions, and that anger will erupt toward your spouse, or children, or friends, or co-workers, toward people in your own church. Anger and homicidal hearts can wreck a community. That's what Jesus has in mind in verse 23. He describes someone who's coming to worship. That's what the altar business is about. And he says, remember, if, you, if you're coming to worship, and you remember that someone has something against you. In the context of talking about anger here, I think he has in mind someone that you hurt with your anger. You wounded them, and it's resolved in your mind. You've already forgotten about it and gone about your day, but you left that other person wounded and bloody in your anger. Maybe you just thought about it as, you know, just letting off a little bit of steam, no big deal. We forget that hot steam burns. It burns whomever it touches, just like our anger does. So what do you do when 
your anger comes to mind, someone you've hurt and damaged a relationship through, through anger, what do you do? Verse 24, Jesus says it's so important that you get up from being at church. It interrupts your worship service. You go and you reconcile that relationship. Don't make excuses about it. Don't try to paper over it. Don't pretend and you've got to give you all the reasons why, but you repent. Jesus calls us to own it and take steps to repair that relationship, to reconcile. It's that important to the Lord. One commentator put it like this. We can't present our hearts to God as a gift offering if our hearts are turned against God's other children. They're just not really compatible in living with a whole heart before the Lord. Just as a physical murder, murder with our hands, destroys a community, so also homicidal hearts wreak havoc in a community. And so Jesus calls us to be people who are life givers, even in the precise places where our anger has been a life taker. How does he want us to do it? Reconcile. Remember who you are. Remember the love that has been given to you from the Lord Jesus. Remember when we were his enemies, Christ loved us. When we were his enemies, when we hated him, the Bible says, Christ came toward us and gave his life for us. His love is a reconciling kind of love that takes steps forward into relationships that have been harmed. And he calls us to remember that gospel and be formed into that kind of people who are willing to own our anger and repent, and reconcile, to grow a culture of life where men and women and children are quick to reconcile, quick to confess, and eager to ask for forgiveness, and to restore where the wounds have been, to restore and repair those broken relationships, where our anger has been used to take life, harm, and wound. The Lord calls on us to be a people of reconciliation, to repair the wound. Where is God calling you to do that? And what relationship is the Lord calling on you to name and repent of your anger? For each one of us, we're never going to stop that murderous anger and contempt from taking root in our hearts. We will never find healing until we face the reality and confess the truth. I am a murderer. And only the crucified Christ can heal me and change me from being a murderer to being an agent of reconciliation. It's only God himself, it's the power of the Holy Spirit who can change our hearts and make murderers into reconcilers. He calls us to be life givers with our hands, life givers with our hearts, and finally, life givers with our lips. See, if you recognize this phrase, this rhyme, Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. We all just told a lie in church. <laughs> it's a lie. The truth is, sticks and stones may break my bones, but rash words are like sword thrusts. That's Proverbs 12, 18. Rash words are like sword thrusts. Sometimes words are the preferred murder weapon. Back to Matthew 5, verse 22. I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. That's meaning the Sanhedrin. 
And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. See, the judgment that ties all of those together is that the command not to murder isn't just about your hands. And it's not just about your hearts. It's also about the words that we use. When we insult someone, the word is raka, and it means something like calling a person an idiot, worthless, you're a nobody, counting someone inferior to us. You ever said that to somebody? Ever thought it this morning about someone? Jesus levels that with murder. Or you fool, he says. That's, that's the word from which we get our word moron, which means contempt for someone's character. You're an imbecile. You're a scoundrel. It, and it's character assassination. Why are the words so important? Well, they're important because as Jesus says in Matthew 12, verse 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The words are so important because angry words tumble out of an angry heart. They tumble out of a homicidal heart and leave a wake of destruction behind us. If you ask my family, where do they see my anger the quickest? They probably wouldn't have to think very long and Think about when we're driving down the interstate and there's a person going really slow in the furthest left lane. I just get filled up with rage and sometimes I shout it, idiot, move out of the way. Get in the right lane. And what it reveals about my heart, that word idiot that tumbles out of my angry heart reveals an angry heart of self-importance. What I've got going is so much more important than any of you suckers. Get out of my way because I'm on an important mission here. You don't matter as much as I do. That's what's going on in my heart when those words tumble out of my mouth. What happens when we murder someone's reputation with just a whisper? Just a whisper of slander, a whisper of accusation, not, not going full on with it, but just, you know, that person, they say this, but they probably mean this other thing. You can't trust them. You can't trust that what they say is really true. Jesus levels that with murder. Murdering someone's reputation with just a whisper of gossip or slander. We do it with our kids. Sometimes parents, we speak angry words, contemptuous words, impatient words with our children, and they lodge in their hearts. It's just another little slice of pain. Sometimes we do it with ourselves. Someone will say something to you about you, an accusatory word about you, something that lodges those poisonous words take up residence in your heart and they make you ashamed of who you are. And you begin to have contempt for yourself that, that anger is turned inward at your own self rather than believing what Jesus says about you, that if you've put your faith and your trust in him, you are justified. You are righteous in God's sight. You are beloved as a child of God. Rather than believing what's true, we begin to believe those poisonous words that have taken up residence in our souls. And it's like we're dying. Friends, we need a renovation of the heart. And it only comes from the one whom Peter describes in 1 Peter 2, at Jesus, when, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. 
It's when he was attacked, when he was accused, he didn't attack. He didn't accuse in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, Peter says, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. If there's anyone who had a right to retaliate against murderous hands or hearts or lips, it was Jesus because he's the only one to genuinely live a perfect life of obedience. He did not deserve a single word of accusation. None of the mocking words spoken over him in his ministry, certainly not the mocking words spoken as he was hung upon the cross. People who were gathered there mocked him saying, save yourself if you're the son of God. Come down from that cross if you're so powerful. But do you see the irony? If Jesus had come down from the cross to save himself, it went a bit at the expense of his giving his life to save murderers and mockers there among him. Or murderers and mockers here this morning. Peter continued, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, and that includes all of our contempt, our murderous attitudes toward other people, the angry words that we speak, the way that we harm one another and embrace self-importance. Jesus bore all of those sins in his body on the tree that we might die to those sins, that they might no longer have mastery over us and instead live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, Peter says. All of those sins, all of that murder in my heart and in yours was nailed to the cross in Jesus' body and we bear it no more. We've been set free from it, friends. He can heal you now. He can begin to change people like you and me. He can have us be people who trade our words that harm and curse for words of grace and blessing spoken over other people. He's able to do that. A friend of mine often says something like this, nearly every person that you meet is insecure, overwhelmed, and under-encouraged. I think he's right. Probably most of us in this room are insecure, overwhelmed, and under-encouraged. And so we have an opportunity to grow a culture of blessing rather than participating in a culture of death and murder with our lips of accusation and critique and constantly telling people how disappointed we are in them. We have an opportunity to point out to others what we see Jesus doing in your life. Speak a blessing over them. This is how I see God is changing you. He's, he's, you were like this and the Lord has done something in your life and I see a different you now. That's incredible. Speak words of grace and blessing over each other. Telling people how God has used them in your life for they are a blessing of God in your life. You have an opportunity to, with your words to build up and encourage. Think about how the dynamic of our community would be changed if everyone was looking every day for somebody to encourage. That's what transformation looks like. We talk about our vision of transformation of our lives and our community and the world. And we wonder, what does that mean sometimes? This is what it means. This is an, an opportunity for us to grow a culture of life, to be a place where people are blessed, where they are built up, where they're reminded of what Jesus has done and reminded of what Jesus is doing in your life right now. 
We have opportunity to speak words of tenderness and kindness and encouragement and blessing over someone. Will you do that this morning? Somebody here in this sanctuary today, somebody in your family today, will you speak words of blessing over them? Because when you do, we are creating a culture of life with our lips. Murderers turned into reconcilers. People who are filled up with contempt becoming encouragers. People whose hearts are filled with anger beginning to overflow in blessing. Jesus can do all of that in us, you know. He can transform us. He can change us to be those kind of people. So let's ask him. Let's ask him to grow that kind of culture of life, resurrection life in our community here at Central. Offering life with our hands and our hearts and our lips. Let's pray together. Father, we are overwhelmed and thankful that you see everything that's in our hearts. You see the contempt, you see the attitudes of judgment, you see the anger that bubbles within and yet you speak words of grace over us. You've given your life for us when we hated you. You've made us your own when we wanted to do life our own way. You've made us your own precious people, stubborn though we are running away from you like we always do. Lord, thank you for making us a people of life as you've given us salvation. And we ask that that life and salvation would take even deeper root among us as a church at Central. That we would speak words of grace and encouragement and tenderness and kindness over one another. That we would build up with our words rather than tear down that we would have hearts that are full of encouragement, full of a desire to reconcile rather than stew in anger. Or that we would be a people that seek to make ways to embrace the lives of every image bearer, make room for them in our community. And so we create a culture of life in the midst of a culture of death. Do that in us and among us, we pray. And give us joy as you're at work doing it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.